0: Welcome in once again to the BTN Podcast. I am Alex Roo of BTN.com. This is episode number two of this podcast. So if you listened to the first one last week with Nicole Auerbach and are listening to this right now, congratulations. You are officially a loyal listener of the show. In episode one, we spoke with Nicole Auerbach of USA Today. And you can go back and listen to that episode on SoundCloud or iTunes if you missed it. I'm also looking into getting this distributed on some more podcast-friendly platforms as well, so keep an eye on Twitter for updates if SoundCloud and iTunes aren't your first choices for online listening. For episode two, I was privileged to have Westwood One and BTN sports broadcaster Kevin Kugler sit down with me in studio last Saturday morning. He's a Nebraska alum, and I'd heard him call a lot of sporting events before. I'm sure you have too, he's everywhere. But I was really blown away by his resume once I started researching him, preparing for the interview, and eventually sitting down to interview him last weekend. We talked about some of his incredible experiences calling some sports' biggest events, and we squeezed in some Huskers football talk as well for all the Nebraska fans out there. So let's get into episode two, BTN Podcast Discussion with Kevin Kugler. Okay, uh, I'm very pleased to be joined in studio by the Jack of All Trades, Mr. Do-It-All, play-by-play man, uh, Kevin Kugler. Welcome, Kevin.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. This is uh, this is exciting. Second edition of the podcast. I'm fired up.
0: Absolutely. It's very exciting for me. Um, you're in town to call Big Ten Baseball, correct?
1: That is correct, yep. We are closing in on the end of the regular season. The Big Ten Baseball Tournament and the NCAA Tournament are right around the corner, so it's an exciting time of year for baseball fans.
0: Absolutely, and uh, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your day to, yeah. to record this for me. Um, so I'm going to try and, baseball's one of your many responsibilities and jobs as mm-hmm. a play-by-play broadcaster. I'm going to try and list all the current gigs you have and, uh, <laughs> let me know if I missed any. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, so the big one you do is the radio work you do for Westwood One, correct? Right, right. All right. You call, uh, NFL games since, uh, my research says 2009. That's
1: correct. Yep. Sunday Night Football. Yep. Sunday Night Football every week. Occasional fill-ins on Monday Night Football when... Kevin Harlan is uh, out of the country doing a game for CBS or something. So maybe one a year I get to do with that um, playoffs through the conference championships each year. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Have you done a Super Bowl? I have not done a Super Bowl. That is Kevin Harlan's. Uh, that is Kevin Harlan's responsibility. He does a fantastic job, and that's uh, that's his gig.
0: So you're going around the country for uh, for NFL. You also call college basketball, correct? Correct. Yes, sir. And do you do uh, any regular season, or is it just the NCAA tournament? Nope, I
1: do regular season for Westwood One. Then I do uh, the NCAA tournament all the way through the Final Four, which I've done since 2008.
0: So how many games during the regular season do you do?
1: Um, Radio-wise, TV-wise, combination-wise, just radio.
0: Just give it all to me.
1: Okay, give it all to you. Um, Regular season, football, basketball, I probably will work... I don't know, ninety events maybe, depending on the year. Uh, if it's an Olympic year, it's more. If it's not an Olympic year, then it's probably somewhere in the ninety to ninety-five range, depending on how many games I do in the NCAA tournament, which is all of the games I can possibly do.
0: <laughs> all right, and we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the Olympics a little bit later. But you've been with us at BTN since two thousand eleven. You call uh, football, basketball, and baseball for us. Correct? That is correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And how did you get involved uh, at BTN? from um, your other Westwood one responsibility. You
1: know, I was, uh, I, I live still in, in Omaha and when Nebraska joined the Big Ten, I had the opportunity to talk with some of the folks, Mark Halsey included, at uh, at BTN and introduced myself and, and they took a chance on me and, and offered me the opportunity to do some games and it's it's been a great relationship ever since. I really enjoyed it.
0: So you mentioned you, uh, you live in Omaha still.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do
0: still related to Nebraska? Because you you went to Nebraska. You grew up in Nebraska. Do you still have any uh, responsibilities fitting into your, your tight schedule?
1: Um, it's and that and that the tight schedule is the key. It's it's much less than it used to be in Nebraska. I used to do a sports talk show every day in the state of Nebraska, and uh, I I had to give that up in 2012. I just didn't have the kind of time I needed to devote to a four hour a day sports talk show, sure. which uh, which was great. I mean, I loved doing it. I had a great partner uh, in Michael Severe, who still does sports talk in the state. And had a great time with him. Uh, he's a terrific friend, but it was just one of those things where I I I had to cut something out of my schedule. I was traveling three to four days a week, and I was doing games, and it just didn't seem like I was able to do that. So it, it's my my schedule with in state stuff has really diminished considerably, just because I've I've gotten so much opportunity to do other things elsewhere. Sure,
0: and uh, for good measure, you've called the Olympics and the Masters, two kind of crown jewels of sports.
1: I, I have. that. That's uh, that's one of the great things about my work with Westwood One is that it provides me the opportunity to, to do a lot of things like, like the Olympics and like the Masters. And uh, I've had the chance to do the College World Series and the Women's College World Series and, of course, the Final Four. And, and it's it, NFL. It, it's just, it, it's a nice way for me to really involve myself in so many different sports and and I love I love the fact that I get to do that with Westwood One.
0: So I'm no golf expert, but we had the uh the Claret Jug here. Yesterday, you weren't here. You were here Thursday. I was, yeah. So I missed you missed out on the Clara Jug. jug. Yeah. Have you uh, had a chance to come across the uh, Clara Jug? I have not
1: run across the Jug. I wish I would have known that. I would have. Uh, I would have skipped my time at Frigid Wrigley Field, or at least cut it short to come over and visit the Clara Jug. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, Wrigley Field didn't look uh, too fun yesterday. No,
1: it was. Uh, you know, the three days prior the Reds series, prior to the Brewers series this weekend that, as we talk, uh, was 85 degrees. It was sunny. Cubs are in the ball out of the ballpark. I go to the game. It's thirty-eight degrees. It's raining. It's miserable. But that's that's all right. They won the World Series. Really, nothing else matters.
0: So uh, back to your golf coverage. You Mm -hmm. you said you call the Final Four. The Masters is like the week after that, right? So you go straight from we go straight from
1: Final Four to the Masters. It is always the most exciting time of the year from the standpoint of big events for me because you know you do the Final Four and everything that goes along with that, and then I go to the Masters and and I get the chance to be a part of a great team there. and call golf from Amen Corner for four days. I mean, I'll, I'll sit on a perch. There's the the grandstands which are right behind the 11th green and the 12th tee. The way the course is set up at, at Augusta National, and I have a perch right on top of the grandstands, out in the sun, enjoying the, the the patrons and watching terrific golf. I mean, it's there. There there are a few weeks where you get to go from one major event to another, and and that's certainly one of them.
0: Sure. And um I gotta pat myself on the back a little bit. I'm two for two. <laughs> two for two in this podcast with having uh, media personalities who covered the Olympics. Nicole Auerbach joined me in the last episode. You're here. You've been to four or five Olympics? I've
1: been to five now. I'm not going to be able to make it to 2018, hoping crossing my fingers for 2020 and Tokyo. But yeah, I've been to five Olympics, started in two thousand eight in Beijing, then Vancouver in two thousand ten. 2012 in London, 2014 in Sochi, and then this past summer I was in Rio.
0: So uh, with Rio, Nicole didn't have too many crazy stories, but did you have any wild stories? Because the whole lead up to Rio was, oh, this is going to be a disaster. It's going to be crazy. Any any stories from Rio that you can report on? You, you
1: know, it's funny. I I did not have any Ryan Lochte type incidents that occurred to me at any point during Rio. I mean, we were the the traffic was bad, and when we'd go to cover basketball practice, it was an hour each way at minimum. Um, the the meat was really good at the, uh, here, here's what I've told people about Rio and, and if Rio's economic situation and governmental situation were to get itself under control, it would be one of the top 10 destinations in the world. It is a beautiful, beautiful city, sure. but there are so many underlying issues going on in Rio that it, it sort of hinders its growth from that standpoint, but I didn't really have anything other than decent things to say about my time in Rio. It was, it's a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous city. It's got everything you could possibly want. We went to the Christ, Re- the Redeemer statue up in the mountains. We were at the beach. I mean, it was, it was very nice and not as scary as I thought month. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. Uh,
0: and with all these jobs, you obviously have to travel just a ton. Your frequent, frequent flyer miles just must be insane right now.
1: Uh, it's not bad. Yeah. I, I, uh, that's the the perk for my family, you know, the, the, maybe they would say the other perk is that I'm gone a lot for the seven months of the year that I'm really traveling a lot. Uh, but the perk is, you know, you get those frequent flyer miles and we can take a a vacation in the summertime. Yeah. If you ever
0: need to unload any of those miles, I'm I'm the guy. I'm just saying, I'm here. I I know your number. (laughs) Uh, but really it must be an amazing schedule to keep up with. Um, so give me a rundown of what your week looks like this time of year. And then maybe at, your schedule's peak, your craziest week. Yeah,
1: this, this time of year is certainly not as as busy. I'll have a baseball game or two until the Big Ten tournament, and that becomes a, a busy week, obviously. But this time of year is a lot slower. Prepping for a baseball game is not as intensive in, at, at times as prepping for a football or a basketball game. There's just not as much involved in it. You've got to know the pitcher. You've got to know a little bit about the lineups. But th- that the involvement in prepping for a college baseball game is not the same. So my week is kind of varied at this time of year. There'll be a couple of days where I really don't have a whole lot that I'm, I'm doing, which is by design. You, you can't, I don't want to necessarily go full bore for 12 months of the year. I'd burn myself out completely. But um, in the fall, which is my peak, you're certainly looking at, you know, you start on a Monday with diving into prep and watching highlights and and starting to read through notes and everything that comes out on Mondays. On Tuesdays, I start to put my football spotting boards together for both college and the NFL. Wednesdays, we'll have conference calls with coaches, so we talk with them. Thursdays, you start to put the finishing touches on your spotting boards. Usually leave Thursday night. Friday, we have meetings with coaches on site for BTN for our college game. Do the college game on Saturday. Most of the time, make a mad dash to an airport, hop on a plane, fly to wherever I'm going for my Sunday night game, do the Sunday night game, and then Monday morning, fly back home. Take A little bit of time on Monday when I get home to have lunch with my wife and see my kids when they get home from school, but then right back into it again. I mean, it's just a perpetual, it's a, it's a rhythm that you get into during the course of a season. But I, you know, I I was told a long time ago, you know, if you, if if you're going to be good, you have to prep and you may not ever be the best, but you can never be outworked from a prep standpoint. And I, I, I try to live by that. I try to prep as much as possible so that you're not surprised by anything when you get to a game.
0: Sure and uh, one thing I've always wondered with people we see on different networks like yourself that pop up in all these different places uh, can you work for as many entities as, as you want or how is it structured in your contract? Uh, are there any restrictions on media outlets you can and can't work for? how does that how does that work? You know
1: I, I think there are some 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 restrictions, but it is not particularly. Cumbersome. You know, I, I don't find myself going, Oh gosh, I better check with BTN or I better check with Westwood One or I better check with this or I better because everybody's been so good to work with. The BTN folks know I'm with Westwood One. The Westwood One folks know I'm with BTN. And so we've kind of gotten in this great marriage where I'm able to balance both of them and knock on wood, haven't angered anybody yet to the point where they say, we don't want you anymore. Uh, but that's, that's always the balancing act. Is trying to make sure that both of the major entities that I work for and am proud to do so with Westwood One and with BTN, uh, my, my goal is to make them happy with not only the product that I'm putting out, but just the general product of me, uh, and that's the balancing act that comes in. But there's no necessarily real cumbersome restrictions on. Okay, you you can't work for this person or you can't work for this group. Uh, it's I, I would certainly not take a job with someone else without saying to both of my employers hey is this cool if i do this yeah. but so far i've never run into any problems
0: okay and uh with having so many jobs and duties uh how do you keep everything straight with so many teams rosters players coaches and facts to know because i mean i keep track of 14 schools here and it seems like a lot you have not only different teams you have different leagues and and conferences to keep track of
1: it's uh it's it's a matter of writing as much down as you possibly can and trying to retain as much as you can uh and that's where that prep comes in if you if you have prepared for the job that you're doing and this is not just for broadcasting but if you've prepared for the job that you're doing you shouldn't have any major surprises that's the goal every week is to not be surprised and to have the information that i need in front of me so i know right where it is when i need it And and the good thing is with both BTN and with Westwood One, I am surrounded by a great group of people who are there as a as, as support for the broadcast. I mean, the, the goal is a good broadcast. The goal is not, oh, let's make Kevin Coogler look good or let's make my color partner look good. Or, the goal is all of us pull together to have a good broadcast. And so producers, directors, the crew, everybody involved in this has to have a role in order to make this broadcast work. My role is just one part of it. And so I try to do my job because I know the people around me are going to do their job, and then usually it works out pretty well.
0: Right. So how long is your your off-season, if, if you even have one?
1: Um, my off-season is usually the month of July because I do the Texans uh, preseason football package okay. for, for Houston. And so once August hits, I add a game a week in August doing preseason football for the Houston Texans on their television side. So July is my... My month where I really, I try not to, I try not to do a whole lot, to be honest with you. I I give that month to my family. We kind of, I kind of go dark on social media and I don't engage a whole lot in much of anything because we just sort of, we'll get away during July and we'll kind of just shut it down for July to kind of retool for the start of the fall, which cranks up in August right afterwards, so.
0: All right. And uh, someone like myself who's kind of just starting out in sports and media, it's Mm -hmm. always fascinating to learn from Someone like yourself who was already who was made it, you know, old. Who's old? old. (laughs) Yeah. So I always want to hear about how you guys got started. So you went to Nebraska. I did. I want to hear about your experiences at Nebraska and kind of how those led to your current situation today.
1: Um, I was a business major coming out of high school. That was my goal. I went through high school planning to be a sports agent and was going to be a business major and then go into law, become a sports agent, took a bunch of business classes in high school, college-level accounting classes and all this other stuff, so that I could be ready to jump right in. I got into the business college in Nebraska and hated it, hated everything about it. Um, didn't like the classes, didn't like the the feel of the school. And, I mean, it's a fine business college. It's not. Uh, it wasn't anything on them. It was me. And so I... Went into the broadcast college, went into journalism school at that point, and fell in love. I mean, I I, I had a great experience. The professors were terrific. There's a uh, there's they're they're growing their sports side now. Years after I've been there, but there was a sports broadcasting class. Obviously, took that. Um, worked at the campus radio station. Did football, basketball, baseball, the whole thing, and um, and and had a wonderful experience. Made lifelong friends there. Um, Got a lot of great experience, did some internships while I was in school, and uh, got out of school and promptly took seven and a half months before I could find any kind of a job. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was, you know, it, it's the nature of the business. It was a difficult business to break into then. It certainly is now. And there's more opportunities now because there's new things like social media that you can certainly involve in. There's internet that didn't exist when I came out of school or was just beginning to exist. Um and so there's a lot of different opportunities now for, for journalism majors to come out. But at the time, to try to find a broadcast job, it took seven months. And then I finally found something to do with my time.
0: So What would you consider your your big break? It doesn't have to be your first job out of school, but what kind of catapulted you into a larger role? Um, I guess, what would you consider your, your biggest role and, and how you broke into that?
1: Um, well, certainly Westwood One was my biggest break from getting the opportunity to go from a local level to a national level. That was big. BTN was a big break for me because it took me from doing some local television to a national television stage. Uh, So both of those in the respective genres that I work in were my big breaks. I mean, I've had a lot of opportunities over the years that have been propelling for me. I I got the chance to be the youngest play-by-play voice at the time, uh, in the CBA when I was a 24-year-old broadcaster for the Continental Basketball Association. That was a big break for me because it took me from a small market in Nebraska doing radio to doing professional basketball. And I got a ton of great experience doing that. And doing a sports talk show was a big break for me because it taught me how to ad-lib. It taught me how to continue a conversation over the course of four hours. It, it was That was a huge break for me. The Westwood One opportunity, as I mentioned, BTN, a a huge opportunity for me to break into a a television role outside of doing television in the state of Nebraska. So there's just been a lot of opportunities, and a lot of people have been really instrumental in helping me out along the way.
0: Sure, and since this is a Big Ten podcast, we're going to get a little more Big Ten specific right now. Mm -hmm. Working here uh, for the last couple football, basketball seasons, the big thing that stood out to me about Nebraska fans was just the kind of like level of pure passion they have for the Huskers. Um, Do you think that comes from just being kind of the foundational institution in that state with not a whole lot around it without any real pro teams to distract? Or what is it about that place that kind of brings out that passion in those fans? Oh, I
1: think that's a big part of it. I mean, Nebraska football, Is the driving force of the fandom in the state of Nebraska in the fall? I mean, there's just, there's nothing quite like it. It's the show in town. And you have an entire generation of fans now who were growing up during one of the greatest eras in the history of college football. The mid 90s Nebraska teams were among the most dominant, if not the most dominant teams in the history of college football. The 1995 Nebraska team still gets talked about as perhaps the greatest team that ever played. And you have an entire generation of fans that grew up watching that, an entire state that took an immense amount of pride in those teams. And when you have that as the main show in town, it's it's hard not to develop that passion if you're a fan of sport. And for the folks in the state of Nebraska, that has, I mean, that's been the driving force for generations. I mean, from Bob Devaney to Tom Osborne and even through some of the rockier years since the retirement of Tom Osborne, the ups and downs of the program over the last 20 years, the passion of Nebraska fans is, I mean, it's its generated by the fact that this is the main show in the state of Nebraska.
0: Sure, and it also stands out to me how polite the fans are, especially compared to a lot of other fan bases. It's almost like it's like the, the Canada in the middle of America with <laughs> all the, the uh, polite, just nice people that, that live around there. Um, during my time, I graduated from Illinois, and during my time working there, I worked at the ticket office on campus. So this is the time when Nebraska hadn't played at Champaign yet, and I'm talking eight nine months in advance. They're calling up our ticket office, asking about not only buying tickets, they're asking about you know the the campus itself, the restaurants, where should we tailgate? And they're they're the nicest people this whole time. Um, and then they come and they lose to Illinois, right? And that's something that Nebraska football probably shouldn't be doing at this time. At, at with Illinois's uh, trajectory in Nebraska, what their goals are, and they weren't really upset at all. At least in person, they probably were upset internally. But I just it just struck me how polite and nice and pretty much uh, you know just easygoing the fan base was.
1: Yeah, I, I think you'll. I think you run into that uh, throughout the state. I, that doesn't surprise me to hear you say that. And and I, I can tell you as someone who was who was in and out of not the state of Nebraska during that time, they were more upset about the Illinois loss than they showed you <laughs> when they were there. Um, but it is, uh, it's something that Nebraskans tend to pride themselves on, is representing themselves well and representing the state well when they go out. And that's why I think partially they take such pride in that football team, is that that's the representation of Nebraska. When, when Nebraska is presented to the nation, Nebraska is considered by a lot of folks on the coast to be a flyover state, but what do you think of when you think Nebraska? You maybe think of agricultural, but you certainly think of Nebraska football. It's one of the things that is sort of the headline of when people outside of the state think about Nebraska, one of the first things that comes to mind is Nebraska football. And so that's kind of the calling card of the state. So they want it to be their best card.
0: So what did you think about Nebraska joining the the Big Ten originally? Uh, I mean, you were in school when they were in the Big 12, and they were— when I was there, they went from the Big, Big eight, 8 to the Big yeah.
1: 12. And then we watched this unfold, and I was still doing sports talk at the time in Omaha. And uh, it, to me, it was an absolutely perfect fit. You're talking about a league that prides itself on togetherness and camaraderie and pulling together and, and really bonding as a league. And and that was what Nebraska needed right then because they were in the opposite in the Big 12. The Big 12 right. was a league that was fracturing It was having Texas pulling one way, Oklahoma shoving a little bit, Nebraska trying to pull one way, Texas A&M unhappy, Missouri unhappy, Colorado unhappy. We see what happened with all those schools. And so when Nebraska had the opportunity to join the Big Ten Conference, and Tom Osborne as the athletic director at the time was really one of the driving forces behind this whole thing, he saw stability as a big thing. And then Nebraskans have always prided themselves on consistency and stability and hard work and all the... The attributes that go with that. And I think they felt felt like the Big Ten was a league that was going to respect that sort of consistent work ethic. And I I think the marriage, while still very young, is a very, very good fit.
0: Sure. So throughout all your years covering and following Nebraska sports so closely, give me maybe your top interaction or most memorable story with, it could be a player, a coach, just something memorable that sticks out to you. during your time covering the Huskers?
1: Um, When Nebraska was going through the 1994 season, it was one of the most interesting seasons I've ever gotten the chance to cover because you had Tommy Frazier, the most dynamic quarterback that Nebraska's had, and you had him go down early in the season, a season filled with promise for the entirety of the year with blood clots. And... You had Brooke Behringer step in. And Brooke Behringer obviously now is is someone who Nebraska fans revere for a lot of the things that we talked about with Nebraska, consistency, work ethic, kid from Kansas who came into Nebraska and exhibited that same sort of consistent work ethic, put his head down, put his shoulder down, and 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 drove a team to a national championship. But I can remember Brooke was going through in the middle of that season a a punctured lung. He punctured his lung in a game. Had to have it inflated, reinflated, drained—all the stuff that I don't ever want to have done to my lung. But he's having it done, and he's going out and playing football. And I can remember we were at the time still in college, and I was covering the team and doing a sports talk show at the time on the college radio station. And Brooke Baringer joined us on the show because a friend of mine was Brooke's tutor, and I had said, "Well, we'd love to talk to Brooke." He goes, "Here, here's his number." So we called Brooke. He's like, "Yeah, I'll come on." He came on with us just as he was getting ready to go have his lung drain. Mm -hmm. So we have him on the air talking with him. And that was sort of the epitome of this guy. He was, look, I'm going to, and it was completely business. Like, yeah, once we get done on this call, I'm going to go have my lung drain, get ready for the week. And I'm I'm thinking, I, I mean, we're sitting there talking sports and thinking, oh, I've got a physics test coming up. That's gonna be hard. Right. He's got all that stuff. Plus a football game. Plus he's going to have somebody stick a giant needle inside of him and drain his lung. I mean, it was it it was the epitome of why that team won a national championship because it had guys like that that were selfless and willing to just do whatever it took. It was one of the more interesting seasons I've ever had the chance to watch from up close as someone covering a team and He was really the epitome of what that team was all about that year.
0: And we got to talk some current Husker football while you're here. Mm -hmm. What do you think this team and and Mike Riley has to do in his third season to kind of, um, I guess, satisfy Nebraska fans? Not that they're uneasy right now, but... What does he have to prove this year, and what do Husker fans want to see?
1: I, I think what Nebraska wants to see is what this offense is going to look like, first and foremost, with a quarterback that appears to be better suited for what Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf want to do in Tanner Lee. And Tanner Lee is going to have to come in to transfer from Tulane mm-hmm. and show that he can run this system. They're very, very high on him. They have great expectations for him. I'm anxious to see what the offensive line looks like for Nebraska. I think that's a big question mark going into this season. And the other thing that Nebraska fans want to see out of this third Nebraska team is this defense. There's a brand new defensive coordinator in town and he's switching to a 3-4. Is the personnel there? Are the bodies there to run this defense the way Nebraskans have expected to see their defense? I don't think people care whether it's a 4-man front or a 3-man front or what they're doing as long as they get stops. And that's what Nebraska wants to see, Nebraska fans want to see, is can this defense get enough stops, coupled with an offense that they hope will continue to show growth and build on what was a nine-win season last year, but it kind of ended on a right. on a flat note. And I think Nebraskans want to see a little more positive upswing. They're certainly very excited about recruiting in the state of Nebraska. The, the class that they're putting together for the next season at least on paper right now, is a top 10 class across the country. But I think to translate that recruiting success now, you want to see the recruiting success build while the success on the field builds. And and that's that's going to be an interesting, it's a very interesting year for Nebraska in the Big Ten West because I think there's some really good competition out there and a lot of unknowns in that division this year.
0: Shifting gears a little bit, uh, before I let you go, I wanted to get into uh, some... Uh, fun questions that you should be able to answer with your wide range of perspective. Oh boy, here um, we go. That,
1: that, that's that's deadly. You should be able to answer these.
0: Alright. <laughs> uh, so give me some of the names of the coolest guys that you've worked, or girls, that you've worked alongside uh, calling games throughout your career.
1: Um, do I have to say Lisa Byington in this podcast? Will she listen to this thing? I she? hope she listens. You don't have to say her name. Alright, All right. Well, believe me, I would not, I would never say I enjoy working with Lisa Byington. <laughs> um, no, I mean, obviously my football crew at BTN is a, is a a ton of fun. I I love working with Matt and I love working with Lisa Byington. I've had the chance the last several years to work with uh, Hall of Famer James Lofton on my Sunday Night Football broadcast. He's moving on to CBS this year, so I will have a new partner for Sunday nights this year. I don't know who that'll be, but I hope I enjoy him. Jane Cutler, or, maybe? Uh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, I uh, I had the chance for several years to work with Bill Raftery on my basketball calls for the Final Four, and. And this is not a news flash to anybody, but he is genuinely one of the best people that I have ever had the chance to work with. And working with him and John Thompson as a three-man booth was intimidating, to say the least, for a young kid coming out of nowhere to work on a a Final Four broadcast, but they both went out of their way to make me feel very comfortable, especially Bill Raftery, who really facilitates any broadcast that he's on, and he's always seemingly in a three-man booth, but he's so good at it.
0: Yeah, I... uh met Bill Raftery in D.C. at the Big Ten tournament. Sure. And it was, I think, late night, Friday night or Saturday night, all the games had wrapped up, and a few of us uh, from BTN wanted to just, you know, say hi, get our picture taken, and there were other people coming up to him, and he made sure to – he was walking off the court and we're like, Bill, and he turns around and comes and has a five-minute discussion when really he doesn't have to do that, you know. It's it's late and probably wants to get back to the hotel or whatever, get some rest, and uh, definitely went out of his way to, you know, Spend some time with us. He yeah, was, he, that was really nice. He is
1: he is as nice a man as he as everyone says he is. I mean, it's there's no there there's no airs put on. There's no act. He is he's genuinely just a a terrific guy. And I, I've had the chance to work with so many really good people over the years doing all of the stuff that I get to do. Mark Malone uh, worked with for several years on the Westwood One broadcasts. Uh, Glenn Mason at BTN is a good friend and, and a fantastic analyst. I mean, I've, I've just I've been very fortunate over the years to work not only at the national level, but on the local level with guys like my uh, my good friend and my former partner, Michael Severe, John Bishop, who I do games with uh, on the radio at the College World Series. I mean, I'm just really lucky to have been surrounded by a lot of good people who make me sound a lot better because of what they're able to do.
0: So you've done a lot of things. You've pretty much done it all. But what is your what has been your favorite event to cover over the years? Oh,
1: boy. Um, you know there there are a lot the final 4 is always my 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 biggest event and and that's usually the most fun for me i mean when you look 2 years ago at Villanova winning a national championship on a last-second shot after North Carolina had just hit what we thought was the last-second shot of that game that was going to win. To me, that was – I mean, I'll never see a better basketball game. I'll never call a better basketball game from the standpoint of the drama and the stakes and everything. So the Final Four always goes at the top of my list. But, I I mean, I'm so fortunate. I've gotten so many really cool events that I've had the chance to do. The Final Four, though, always goes right at the top of my list.
0: What about one event you have not covered yet that you would like to –
1: Oh boy! You know, I, I've been asked this before, and that's a hard one because I don't really have a list of things that I think of. Oh gosh, you know, if I if I had have the chance, I would love someday. And I've never called any major league baseball game. And I grew up a huge baseball fan, a, a Cubs fan, as you know and as you are. And I I've never called a major league baseball game. And so while it's not necessarily a huge event. I'd love to have the chance someday to call a game on TV and and see what I can, I mean maybe I'd be terrible at it I don't know but I I love I love baseball and I have I've grown up with that sport and I I mean I that that's one event that I'd really love to have the chance to do.
0: So you've made some huge calls over the years uh you were in town for the Northwestern Hail Mary correct? Yes. Uh I want you to brag on yourself a little bit. Uh <laughs> what's the best call you think you've ever made?
1: Um the best call I've ever made. Um, that's a good question. I, I don't. I don't know what the best call is. I, I. I always go back to my first Final Four, because it was, it was a challenging call, but it was a fun call to make when Mario Chalmers hit a three that sent that game into overtime, and I, it's my first Final Four, and I'm working with Bill Raftery and John Thompson, and Chalmers is coming down the court and I'm calling it out, and it's radio, so you're counting down the clock because, obviously, there's no bug on the screen. People can't see the time left. So I'm counting it down, and John Thompson jumps right into the middle of the call and, as he can, says, you think they should foul here, Billy? And I'm still powering through the call, and Raph goes, I do! And then all of a sudden, I'm calling this thing, and all this is happening around me, and I'm trying to keep my head, and I'm my first Final Four, it's coming down to this, Potential game tying shot in the national championship, and these guys are talking. And I'm, but, but I I was able to hit the call, and and he hits the shot, and I get an onions out of Bill Raftery, and I'm giddy as a result of all this. And then of course we go on and play the overtime, and and the game ends. But uh, that for me always stands out because there was so much going on, and I wasn't a hundred percent sure that I was handling it right. It's my first one of these, and. I wasn't hundred percent sure it was going the way it was supposed to go, but um it, it went okay and 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 I will say this, this is a my secondary call that I always think about is one that no one else will ever think about, but it was my very first game with Westwood One, and it was a Pitt, Virginia football game that will not go down in the lore of anything. And I, I'm doing my very first game, Terry Bowden is my partner, and the we go to a break. The TV guy on the sideline says, we're going to break. So we go to break. All of a sudden, the TV guy waves off the break. We're not in break anymore. Right. Well, we're in break. We can't get out of break. So, of course, they come up to the line of scrimmage. And they drop back to throw. And Tyler Palco uncorks a pass right down the middle of the field. And I'm sitting there going, oh, no. And it's and the wide receiver can't even remember who it was at this point, has broken free five, six steps behind the defensive back. And my producer, Mike Eby, who is a very good friend, uh says to me, we're coming out of break. Recreate it.
0: <laughs>
1: and so we joke about it now. It is the fastest 60-some yard touchdown call in the history of radio because we come back from break. The crowd is just about to start cheering, and I'm like, Tyler Palko, back to throw on Corks, a touchdown, 65. (laughs) It's the fastest call in the history of radio. But it was important that I was able to do it because, as it turns out, the people at Westwood One heard me do it and went, "Okay, he didn't freak out when something went wrong. I think we'll keep him around for a little while. And that was, what, now 11 years ago. So I've stuck around as a result of the fastest touchdown call in the history of college football. It's
0: pretty good. So uh, one last thing before I let you go like you said you're a Cubs fan I'm a Cubs fan real quick give me the story on how you became a Cubs fan as a kid growing up in Nebraska
1: oh well, I, I can tell you I was we actually grew up um, I, grew, I lived in the was born in Nebraska and we moved to Eastern Colorado and that's where we first got cable television sure and of course if you were a baseball fan at that time and you lived in Eastern Colorado which was a town of about 1900. And you had cable. You had two options as fans. I think
0: I'm going to guess it's the uh, the Braves and the Brave Cubs. Brave and the Cubs.
1: Right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the same story as thousands upon thousands of people my age. And there were people in my family that had been Chicagoans and Cubs fans. And so I obviously gravitated that direction. And it just became a... M- marriage over the years, I'd come home from school. And of course it was such an easy sport to follow then because Mm -hmm. everything was a day game. Sure. You come home from school, you watch the Cubs, you while you're eating your snack and then you go outside and play. And that was how I would spend my time. And then in the summers once school was out, you'd watch the game in the middle of the afternoon. And so you could follow the story. And then over the years it just grew and grew and grew and grew and and, you know, started coming to games and started hanging out more in Chicago and being a part of it. And I, I will tell you, of all of the sports that I've been around and I was uh, in school when Nebraska football won a national championship and I've seen a lot of really cool games. I have never been as emotionally connected to something as a fan, as I was in the world series run last year. I mean, I, 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 kept track of my step count that night in Game 7. I was 20,000 plus steps that I walked in my basement the night of Game 7 of the World Series. I mean, it was any. Em- I was an emotional wreck. I was on the edge of my seat, but I mean, having the chance to see, and I saw Game 4 at Wrigley, we came up to that and they were terrible, but the chance to see a World Series game at Wrigley field something I never thought I'd get, and As a fan, and and I'm a—I am not one of those guys who believes that when you become a sportscaster, you lose your ability to be a fan, especially... That's so fun, you know? Exactly. Look, I I am broadcasting to fans. I'm not going to sit here and cheer for either one of the teams in the game I'm broadcasting, but I'm not going to... I don't cover Major League Baseball, and I grew up a Chicago Cubs fan, and until I start covering Major League Baseball, (laughs) I'm going to retain my Cub fandom. I... I don't have any rooting interest anymore when it comes to college football, NFL. It's easy. It really is easy to remove yourself from fandom when you're broadcasting. But I'm not broadcasting the Cubs. I'm going to be a fan of them. I'm going to wear a Cubs hat and a Cubs sweatshirt that says World Series champions.
0: Right. So what was your reaction when Rajay Davis hit that home run? Because Uh, personally, it was the weirdest sensation I've ever had. I was sweating, but I had like a cold numbness in my chest. I don't know if I've ever felt something like that. What do you I, feel?
1: Uh, it, it's, it's fortunate that I am not a particularly muscular individual because I slammed my hand into our countertop so hard that it shook stuff on the counter knocked stuff off. I was so... And then I just was... It reminded me of the 2003 NLCS again, where I just sat on the couch and couldn't believe what I had just seen. I mean, it was like somebody had come up and just punched me in the gut and and i mean i was texting a good friend of mine and i were like we were both I, I can't i never thought i'd feel this way again i and and here it is again it's happened again why does this happen to this right. team but it didn't happen again right
0: yeah they end up winning and uh yeah
1: spoiler alert
0: <laughs> for anyone who, who wasn't aware <laughs> but at least you weren't on a plane for someone who flies as much as you. Oh. my my dad lifelong cubs fan was on a flight to vancouver during game Seven. Um he was following on his phone, trying to stream. I think he was just following the little game game center app. They go under ten thousand feet, turn off your cell phones, he lands and uh pulls up his Sports Center app or whatever and it's Cubs win World Series. So at least you weren't on a on an airplane. I was not.
1: I was I was in my basement, watching the game, pacing nervously like an expectant father, and they actually delivered, which was a huge shock to me. Even though I was hoping it would happen, I never really believed it would happen until it actually happened.
0: Now they just got to get on the right track this season. Get get out of the World Series hangover. Yeah,
1: exactly. They're they're, they're experiencing that right now. So anytime I feel a little despondent about this team, I just go downstairs and I look at my my copy of the newspaper and my copy of this and my copy of Sports Illustrated and I just remember that they were the champions. Absolutely.
0: All right, Kevin. That's all I got for you today. Uh, Thanks again so much for joining me and that'll do it for me and
1: Appreciate you you coming by. I appreciate you having me on. I am honored and excited to be number two on this podcast. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thanks.
0: Probably should have had Kevin talk us through that wrap up there instead of myself. That was kind of sloppy on my end, but that's why he's a professional broadcaster and I'm just a guy with a microphone. Once again, thanks to Kevin for joining me, and thanks everyone for listening. Keep subscribing on iTunes and SoundCloud, and if not, keep reaching out to me to tell me which podcast platform you prefer, and we'll see about getting it out there. Talk to you next time.